Welcome to the Driving Dentistry Forward podcast, where successful dental pros and anyone who values the power of a smile can get an edge in the dynamic worlds of healthcare and business. Hosts Chuck Cohen and Rick Cohen speak with top influencers in the world of dentistry and explore essential tools, trends worth your time, and solutions that help you practice smarter. Thank you so much for being on the Driving Dentistry Forward podcast. It's great to see you. And uh, we're honored to have you on. So thank you. It's Saturday right now. And so uh, we really appreciate your making, uh, making some Saturday hours available to us. And no, it's, it's great to be here. It's a beautiful fall day, beautiful scenery. So I'm good to go. Awesome. I want to read uh, to the listeners a little bit about you. I've got a copy of your bio here, which I found on the web. <clears throat> uh, with offices in New York, Dubai, and Los Angeles, and an exclusive line of luxury oral care cosmetics available worldwide. Dr. Appa brings the very best in aesthetic dentistry to a global clientele. An industry pioneer, he transformed the world of cosmetic dentistry with an innovative approach to flawless veneers known as facial aesthetic design, or FAD, that ensures no two smiles are alike. Rather, each extraordinarily natural and expertly crafted smile is tailored to enhance a patient's unique face. His signature style and award-winning results inspired counterculture in aesthetic dentistry, a practice that draws, on the, that draws the highest level talent from around the globe and a star-studded pa- patient roster. In 2014, he founded Appa Beauty, a groundbreaking line of luxury oral care cosmetics that raises the bar for daily at-home care. Leading With an unparalleled passion for aesthetics and commitment to the very best in care, Dr. Appa transformed cosmetic dentistry and secured its place in the luxury market. Welcome, Dr. Appa. Um, I know that you just came off the plane from Dubai. I did. And then I I learned, and I kind of knew, I heard rumors of this, but I, I learned that you spent quite a bit of time there. Can you tell us what's going on in Dubai? Yes. So I haven't been there since February. Um, my last trip was in February and then obviously everything hit. In fact, when I was there, there was a lot more talk of everything going on. And there was, you know, you could feel it a lot more in February because when, when we went into the airport, you know, looking back is embarrassing, but a lot of the Asian, there's a, obviously a huge Asian population there. And a lot of the Asians in the airports were wearing masks and the people at the counters were wearing masks. And, and I was joking with my assistant when I was going through, like, this is ridiculous. Like, why are these people wearing masks? Lo and behold, March came around and New York, as you know, uh, got hit really hard. And we closed the office down March 15th or 16th, something like that. And we closed Dubai and LA at the same time. In fact, uh, one of my ceramists, got COVID um, and in, you know, maybe it was interesting, actually, I would say March 15th, one of the ceramists called me and said, oh, so-and-so, you know, has a fever and a headache. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) And I called him and he's Brazilian. I said, you know, how are you feeling? He's like, oh, I'm okay. You know, I have a little headache. I'm fine. And I'm like, well, you have to go get tested. He's like, no, I don't think it's anything. I'm just going to you know, I'm going to stay home today. And I was like, yeah, don't come in and please, you know, go get tested. And it was much harder back then. No one really knew the process of how to get tested and all that stuff. So in any case, we, we shut everything down that day. Uh, I went in, had an office meeting, canceled patients for the week. And it was mind blowing to say the least. We, um, we had patients in temporaries all over the world because um, a lot of our patients travel into locations. So they're not necessarily just in New York or in LA or in Dubai. And um, we, uh, I still had two patients in temporaries since February when I went back for this trip. And I Good finally way to got test to test that temporary cement, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's scary. I mean, you think about being in plastic teeth, you know, 20 plastic teeth for, uh, I don't know, seven months. But, um, you know, I would say the, the, um, the fear 
it wasn't so much getting on the plane and going to buy it was more of the process of what you were going to encounter and what you needed to do in order to get through and then get home. Um, so there was talk of testing when you land and quarantining and, and, you know, I go for there essentially four working days. So I, I leave Thursday night, I get there Friday night and I work Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday and come home uh, Wednesday morning. So if I had to quarantine, I would have essentially eaten up the trip and obviously New York is very busy and I just, I don't have the time, physical time to, to sit in quarantine for however long that, that, uh, needed to be. So, so that was, um, one of the things that I was thinking about, how was it going to be on the plane? Do I really have to wear a mask for 14 hours? Uh, you know, just a lot of the unknowns. What was the airport going to be like getting through security and all that stuff? And I have to say that Emirates, the airline is amazing. Um, if if you don't know about it, it's it's one of the most magical airlines to ever yeah. fly. It's great. <laughs> um, and they really have their act together and they made it very seamless. Um, JFK was great and, and getting into Dubai was completely fine. We, uh, you know, I guess... What actually happens is they take your temperature and figure out if your temperature's high, then they test you. And that's really the people they're testing from the United States. So, and then once we got into Dubai, you know, I was actually kind of shocked coming from New York and you're there. So you know how kind of quiet and careful people really are. I mean, some outdoor diners, you know, you can argue, but going from New York to LA, it's very busy in LA and, you know, outdoor dining might as, I mean, they might as well just be indoor because they're so close right. and it's so packed. Um, and crowds are out shopping and, and really living life. Um, and in Dubai, it, it felt very similar. So when I walked into the hotel, it was packed and I was shocked. Really? So, um, it was interesting, but very, I hate to say it, but kind of normal. So it was nice. I mean, it was, you know, it, it's obviously, you, you know, one half of you is always going to be afraid that it's going to come back and it's going to be worse and we're going to go through this again, or obviously we are still going through it. But the other half is, you know, it was the first time, especially even my sleep schedule, the way that those trips mess up your sleep schedule, I happen to enjoy it because it makes you wake up really early and you're wide awake at four o'clock in the morning, which is my favorite time to be awake. Um, so it was, it, it really has brought in some strange way, normalcy back to my life kind of full circle. So it, it was great. It's a long answer to a very short question. I also travel a lot internationally yeah. and it, in December we were in, uh, Vietnam and we had tickets to Wuhan because we had to go there for work. So I had to go there for work. And Cynthia, my fiance, who's a physician and is on all of these email lists, she said, there's something going on in Wuhan yeah. and we shouldn't go. And, you know, she said that kind of thing before. So I was, I immediately brushed it off thinking she wasn't, right. you know, it's just another one of those hypochondriac yeah. things or whatever. Yeah, 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 she said, yeah. no, she said, I think this one seems different. Yeah. And so, um, we decided not to go to Wuhan, which was great. I mean, obviously we now all know the history, but this was the middle, uh, third week of December. Wow. There were maybe a couple dozen people sick with something unique in Wuhan. Um, obviously I'm glad we didn't go because we might've gotten sick, but also even if we didn't get sick, getting out of Wuhan at that time would have been nearly impossible. So it's amazing how this whole thing developed so quickly. Um, no but I, you know, I want to go back a little bit back to Dubai in that um, I'm not sure our listeners know that you, I think have an office there. Is that right? Yeah. So how did that come about? Why Dubai? Yeah. Um, and what's your schedule? How do you, how do you manage that? Yeah. So, you know, I think like kind of everything that we're going to talk about, you know, I'm 43 now. And when I started doing Dubai, I was 29, which is a much different age. Um, and it's very kind of, um, you know, uh, 
it makes sense now to say, yeah, I have an office in Dubai. I mean, it's it. Wh why I, I didn't know these answers then, I can tell you now. But why Dubai? Because it's a perfect location, um, and it's built for international travel, and that really is my patient base. So you know, even in New York, I would say maybe fifteen to twenty percent of my patients that I treat. Now, remember, we're only doing, you know, I'm only doing large cases and then patients are kind of going home. But I would say 20% of my patient base is actually living in New York City. Mm -hmm. um, so most are traveling in. So in a place like Dubai, when you put boots on the ground in a place like that, you are central to Asia and Europe um, and the GCC in the Middle East. And um, the at that time, I mean, look, there's obviously great dental care everywhere. And I hate when Americans say there's no great dental care there. So I open an office, but it's not the case, but there wasn't anything like what I was offering mm. uh, in that region at the time. Um, and how it came about it is kind of the story of my life, it, which is, um, I did a television show that I thought was ridiculous when I was 28 or 27. And it was like an E show. I don't even know if E is on anymore. And it was like lifestyles of the rich and famous Robin Leach voice. And it was, um, they went into, it was an hour segment and they went into, uh, the lifestyles of the rich and famous doctors and hairstylists and makeup artists. And, you know, I was the dentist. And so I was in great company of, of very established people. And I was, I, you know, it's a question people always ask me. I, if I look back on it now, I was very not established. If you asked me then, I felt like I was, you know, a, a, a superstar, mm. but I wasn't. Um, and, and they filmed this show and I remember being annoyed about it and thinking that it was so cheesy and, you know, kind of not what I wanted my message to be. And uh, it was just one of those things that I did and it was syndicated and, and played in Europe and played, you know, in the United States a lot and a lot of people saw it. And in London, the Royal family had been, some people, the members of the Royal family were there and they saw it and they made an appointment and they flew into New York. I treated, you know, four or five of, of the family. And I became very close friends with them personally. And, um, you know, it was also interesting at that time, if I'm being completely honest, Dubai was, there was an allure, you know, this was pre 2008 when the financial collapse happened mm -hmm. and Dubai was booming then. And a lot of Europeans, especially, um, British-based dentists were going there for kind of like land of opportunity. You know, London wasn't what it was or what it is now. And, and Dubai seemed like this place that, you know, was magical. And, you know, there were vending machines with gold bars and, you know, Rolls Royces, you know, paving the highways. And, um, and the police cars were Lamborghinis. And, <laughs> you know, people it thought, like, really? I can go there and, and, and do cosmetic dentistry for the royal family. You know, it was just like a thing. And I remember, you know, we ran a, an Aesthetic Advantage course, which is a hands-on um, continuum. And we used to have, not we, Larry, the guy that I bought the practice from, Larry Rosenthal, ran a course in London that I was an instructor at. So I would travel to London and teach this course. And a lot of the dentists would always ask Larry to be a part of something, you know, oh, we're going to do something in Dubai. And, you know, Larry included me in all of those conversations. And so I was open to hearing everything. And, you know, I was a kid, I was 20, 27, 26, um, you know, maybe two years out of dental school. So, um, when they came over, I, you know, I made conversation with them, the royal family, and I said, you know, oh, you know, for me, you have to imagine, I grew up in upstate New York. I didn't have a passport until I was 29. I had never, tra obviously never traveled outside of the country. I had no concept of um, any of this. So for me, I, I would always open or invite opportunities without 
you know, it's kind of just me being young and naive um, and not knowing really anything, uh, you know, just thinking like, yeah, that'd be cool to go there and start a practice and not understanding what it really takes to do that. <clears throat> so when he came over, I, I became friends with him and he asked me, uh, have I ever been? And I told him, no, but I would love to have a practice. You know, I would love to, to work there. And he invited me in his own way to come and kind of see Dubai. And he gave me a, an amazing trip, amazing first trip. And he really took me around and introduced me to doctors that I could, you know, I started as like a visiting dentist there where I would fly in. <clears throat> it was crazy. And I'll, I'll tell you about that in a second, but I would fly in and treat patients and fly home. And when you, you know, when you're young like that and you don't think through everything that can go wrong, like you do when you get older, you know, I was fearless and I, I still am fearless. And I think that's a great trait <clears throat> to a degree, as long as you're going to be fearless and back it up with hard work. I kind of have always said, this is a great opportunity, so I should do it, not thinking through what needs to actually happen. And then once I commit to it, and then it's this personal thing where I'm not going to let it fail. So I just work harder than everyone else to make sure that whatever I've said, I'm going to do that it actually happens. And that's essentially how Dubai came about. I told people like, I'm going to go to Dubai and treat patients. And then I went there and I started treating patients. And then I said, I'm going to open an office there. And then I did. Um, what? But it wasn't without massive turmoil, you know, and that's what people, they say all the time, like, oh, you haven't, you know, he's got an office in Dubai. It's like many dentists have called me over, you know, the last 15 years and said, oh, you know, I want to start a practice in Dubai. Can you, can you tell me how to do it? And if I knew what it took, you know, it's like timing and a little bit of luck and a ton of hard work and a lot of perseverance, I would say like, I would tell my 28 year old self, like, don't even try it. It's, it's going to be impossible. Um, but it worked out. It sure did. Uh, what was that first visit to Dubai as a guest of the Royal family? Did I mean, did they fly you on their plane? No, they flew me on Emirates and again, still pretty darn good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like going <laughs> on Emirates at that time, first of all, it wasn't as known, you know? So I remember, um, I remember being in a dinner party of a fashion designer in New York who was having a dinner party to be written up in town and country. And it was a big deal. And it was like my first real invite to, uh, to one of these types of dinners. And I was, again, I was 28 or 29. And um, they sat me next to Ivanka Trump because they thought that maybe we would hit it off. And she was talking about flying. You were single at the time. I was single okay. at the time. Very single. <laughs> um, and we were talking about, uh, she was talking about Emirates and what an amazing airline. And I obviously had nothing to compare it to. Um, so that was like my first introduction to what Emirates was. You know, a lot of these conversations I would have with patients you know, I lived in a one bedroom on the Upper East Side. You know, I had no money and I had no real history of living that type of lifestyle. So I, I, it's hard to have those conversations. And I was a master of listening and nodding and making it seem like that I knew something, but I knew nothing. So, so would you describe it as like a duck? You know, they, they say the duck is so, looks so calm on the top of the water, but under the water, his feet are, yeah, you know. Exactly. Yeah, it, it is massive. Deep down, you were uncomfortable. Oh, massively uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people think that I'm this huge extrovert with a big personality, and I'm very introverted. I don't really love to be in crowds of people, especially when I'm out of my comfort zone, which at that time, every day I was out of my comfort zone. You know, think about think about um, having to mingle with this crowd of people and then, you know, treating the royal family and getting invited to go to Dubai. It was like, that was a nervous wreck. So on the inside, on the outside, I was cool as a cucumber. Right. That's the game, um, right? 
I'm, I can completely relate to that because I'm also very introverted and um, those types of events make me very uncomfortable, but you can't appear that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so my first trip to Dubai, they booked me Emirates and it was like this magical thing that I had only heard about through Ivanka Trump, which obviously was a big name back then. Uh, I'm not that it's not now. <laughs> I was going to say, different still meetings. pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it was opulence. And, you know, I landed and again, it was pre the financial collapse. And, um, you know, he took me in his Bugatti and drove me all through Dubai and Abu Dhabi and explained to me like where the land used to stop and what this used to look like even five years ago and kind of, was really giving me the the real history of how that city was built up um without you know you know there was never a you should come here and, and become a dentist and i'm going to back you it was more of like i'm going to give you a lot of information about something that's very magical to me and if you think it's magical as well then you should come here and do something you, you know what i mean like that was the the whole conversation and um you know, we drove around till probably they're also, they sleep late and they're up late. So we were in the car till two, three o'clock in the morning, driving through Dubai and all, all parts of, of, of the UAE. And, you know, it was uh, a life experience. It was a life experience that could never be replicated. Um, and in the end, again, it was one of those things where I had already told myself I'm doing this. So now it was just there was no fear of, oh my God, uh, how am I going to do this? And how am I going to, it was just like, okay, I'm going to need, you know, basic things. I'm going to need instruments. How am I going to get instruments? I'm going to need, you know, and, and that's just how it happens a little bit at a time. It was never super overwhelming. Um, and I'll tell you about these trips. If I, if I had known what I had to do in order to become a dentist in Dubai during those initial trips, it would, it sounded impossible. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting that you describe it as something that if, if you were your current age, knowing what you know now, you would never do it. And yet my bet is you're probably happy that you did do it. Oh, right. So it's a funny, and, and I could do, completely relate to that too. I mean, there, when you're, you, the risks that you're willing to take in your 20s, um, whether it's cliff diving or whatever your thing is, are very different than the set of risks that you're willing to take in your 40s. And so it's, yeah. it is. Yeah, that's another thing. I mean, when you talk about risks, people, you know, these were never really risks to me because at the end of my personal day i was a kid from upstate new york and i was fine if if my life was going back to upstate new york starting a dental practice living in the town that i grew up in you know i would have been f fine with that you know i knew that that was my you know my fallback and so everything i did in new york when i had first gotten there everything seems now like a massive risk that I took, you know, buying Larry's practice, everyone told me not to even going to NYU was a huge risk, you know, and all was from, from every point of my career. If I had listened to the people around me, they all told me that this is a bad idea. It's too much. This is a bad idea. You, you shouldn't do this. This is too much risk. And to me, I was like, there's no risk. What's the, what's the risk? You know, what do I have to lose? Mm -hmm. So, so being in Dubai, we, we went for that first trip. It was magical. And very quickly after that, I had to figure out, you know, again, remember I'm, I'm 28 or 29 and I don't have this global reputation that people think that I did at that time. And I had to figure out a way to get patients in the chair and they were, you know, these are to go there. I'm not going to go there. You know, the flights were I don't know, $10,000 at the time or something like that. So I wasn't going to go there unless it was, you know, there was some real reason for me to go. And um, so we, we, uh, we had to figure out how to get awareness in the Middle East 
<laughs> while I was in New York. You know, I wasn't there. You know, think about building a practice anywhere, even in your, in your own hometown. It's hard to get patients to walk. I mean, that's probably the hardest thing in dentistry. It's definitely the hardest thing in cosmetic dentistry. People talk about assuming you can you do know, the work you, you, because not everybody right. can, but, but assuming right. you're capable and there's so many, there's a lot of great cosmetic dentists, right? You're right. Building the patient base is there's a lot of great cosmetic dentists that unfortunately are sitting on their hands because they don't understand how to get people in the door. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of great technical dentists in the world that are sitting on their hands because they're just, they don't understand how to get patients in the door. And, yeah, I mean, that has to be the given, right? That you understand how to do the procedures. Um, but knowing that is not going to, no one's going to come in and say like, oh, you know, you look like a guy that knows how to do this. So can, can I please uh, rip my whole mouth apart and maybe look something totally different? And, and you know, I have total trust in you. So, and it was crazy. Um, we figured out a way and, you know, we had this big article written in a, a big magazine that was um, in the GCC and it just created this windfall um, of patients coming in. And I remember uh, I was booking patients back then, this is 2008, mm. over the phone. There was no FaceTime or anything like that. It was good old fashioned landline. And they were giving $10,000 retainers to hold appointments uh, to go and treat them. I mean, it was crazy. Amazing. I remember hanging up the phone and s speaking to my office manager and saying, like, is this not the craziest thing you've ever seen? Um, and that was just the beginning of, you know, what now is just this insane career that, that, uh, that I've been blessed to, to have. Um, but, well, it, but it started then. You say blessed, but in so many ways you've earned it. You um, and so uh, you know. I'd like to to switch. I, how do you go to? I mean, the thought of visiting Dubai every month. My understanding yeah. is you're there every month for a week. So just the time change alone. I also travel a lot internationally. The time change yeah. kicks my butt, and the the older I get, the harder it is. So how long yeah. does, I mean, you just came on the plane yesterday, right? Or to, or this yeah. morning? Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. Well, what are your um, secrets to jet lag and to, and to managing even just that? Yeah. And managing your family as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, my sweet spot in life has always been like four or 5 a.m. Uh, when I was younger, it was being up until then <laughs> and going to bed at four or 5 a.m which was insane to people around me. And now as I've gotten older, it's getting up at four or 5 a.m., which is insane to people around me. Um, I have to say that uh, the first thing is I don't really get true jet lag to work. I mean, I guess I do, but I enjoy it. Um, you okay. know, I'm not one of those people and I've had to work on this but I'm not one of those people that gets frantic if uh, they're tired. You know, like I, I, when I was young, I used to go out a lot <laughs> when I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. And so I was used to just kind of being tired all the time because I would be out until three o'clock in the morning and then up at work and, you know, working uh, in a very high pressure, high intensity environment. And I fed off of it. Um, you know, I was constantly on this uh, emotional uh, rush of, of energy that I needed to function at that level. Um, and without it, to be honest, you know, people think that, you know, on the weekends that I'm out and doing stuff all the time, and I'm, I'm pretty quiet on the weekends, like I really enjoy complete nothingness of, uh, you know, good movies, good podcasts, just anything to shut my brain off and, and relax. But in order for me to, to be happy, part of the happiness comes from the rush of doing these things, going to Dubai once a month and, and hearing, you know, sitting in a podcast and hearing you say like, how do you do that? Like that gives me energy and it always has. So I used to actually go every three weeks, <laughs> which was really intense. Um, but to make it worse, I opened LA and then I go 
you know, to LA once a month for a week as well, which is the opposite direction in time, which uh, is intense as well. Sure. I'm Dubai to LA. LA is probably one of the longer flights that you can even take, right? Do they even have that? Yeah, yeah, it's 28 hours. It's like flying yeah. to Australia from, from New York. Amazing. Again, I feel like I've gone through this training from when I was younger uh, and, and I'm just kind of wired that way. When you say training, do you mean the parties? It's not just the parties. Like, you know, look, you're either this type of person or you're not. And what I, you know, there's a lot of things that have really come into clear vision as I hit 40. And um, it's not for everyone. And you cannot fake, you know, people say all the time, oh, I want to do what you're doing. And you just, you either have this thing in you or you don't. I, I've never had to say to myself like, oh, I need to get um, energized because I have to go to Dubai or it's never, um, it's, it's actually, I get excited to go. Uh, and I get excited to be tired and I get excited that I get an hour alone at four o'clock in the morning to do something that I want to do, you know, when it's peaceful and quiet. Um, so I never, it was not hard. It was never work. It never once was work and think about what I was doing. You know, I was going and treating Royal family members and all of these people that were, it was just so far outside of my world that it was a rush every single time. And every trip to Dubai that I've gone to since 2008, something, some crazy story has happened to where you say like, how would I ever get these life experiences if I was sitting in one place and not doing this? And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it was fuel all the time. Any crazy Dubai stories come to mind? Yeah. I mean, to, to, to add to it, I used to go to Dubai and work on patients during the day, right? Which were high profile, difficult, complex cases. You know, first of all, we have to set some understanding. When I used to go to Dubai as a visiting doctor, I used to go for a week and I would go on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and I would prep teeth. Uh, I would prep 150 teeth in three days out of one room. Amazing. So it was like wow. efficiency like crazy. And it was high anesthetics, you know. I didn't have x-rays going in. I didn't have photographs. It was done over a telephone. I had no idea what I was walking into and I had to perform to get something in people's mouths. And then if I needed them to come back and get implants or root canals, I would figure it out. But I would sit down and prep, you know, eight, nine full mouths in three days. I would send a dental assistant from the office in Dubai that I was working out of back to New York with all the cases, my ceramist at the time uh, would close his lab down and him and, you know, seven or eight other ceramists would just do my cases. And then he would get on a plane with all the cases and get in on Friday morning and we would insert. So he had uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, uh, sorry, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to build up 150 units at that level of, um, you know, I want this angle and this color yes. and this. And then he would deliver them on Friday and I would insert them in three days and then we would leave. I mean, it was, it was insane. So, so that was the intensity that I was going there with. Um, and when I opened my own office, you know, like anything, people say, you know, why would you open an office in Dubai? Why wouldn't they just come to you here? Aren't you busy enough in New York? Uh, that you, you know, do you really need to go to Dubai? And what people don't understand is that when you are in a region and you're going out socially, you're promoting, you're meeting patients and, and really interacting with them on their kind of, in their turf or their area, or their region, it just grows. And being young and seeing Larry and seeing all of his friends that were 30 years older than me, I had a very keen sense that I wanted to do this every day. I would think that for dentists that are capable of doing it, there's probably no better feeling than to um, be able to delight patients in a way that they probably didn't even, I mean, you, you pass the mirror to them so they've seen their teeth for the first time and in many cases, I bet you see tears. So 
that type of feeling that you get from that must be indescribable. Yeah, but you know, I, there's an intangible that people don't understand in this industry. And I, I relate a lot of these conversations to sports because it's really not unlike a sport where there is a competition within yourself every time that, you know, if you really are that type of person that needs to be the best and whatever that means, you need to feel that, you know, if, there, if there's one person getting cosmetic dentistry in the world, it has to be in your hands because you're the best. So why would they go anywhere else? Um, and that has always been an underlying um, feeling that's been in me. And it's just pure competition, uh, not directly with a, another person, but competition with myself that I need to treat everyone. So when I used to go to Dubai and I, and then when I still go, you're, you're asking about stories. There have been many times where I'll go and work a full day in my office in Dubai, you know, land from New York on Friday night, get in Saturday and work from uh, 8.30 in the morning till five o'clock at night, and then get on a private plane and go to someone's palace and see that patient at midnight and then get back on that private plane, fly back to Dubai, get to my hotel at five, shower, and go back to the office on Sunday and do it all over again. And there's been multiple trips where I was getting pulled out in the middle of the night for these kind of like, I call them night runs, where I was packing up an entire team on a, on a jet and going to some, you know, <laughs> sometimes dangerous or seemingly, you know, unknown palace where you're going in with, you know, armed guards and they take your passport and you're kind of like, my wife would be like, <laughs> where are you? And I, there were times where I couldn't even call her and tell her where I was. Um, but it all adds to the, the life, you know, what is life really about? And for me, it's always been pushing it to the max. Like that. stories you tell, right? And, and yeah. you said uh, three words that, that sent shivers down my spine. That was taking my passport. <laughs> yeah, those are three words I never hope to have to comply with. Yeah, taking uh, my that, that gets awful real, awful quickly at a match. Yeah, 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 and my cell phone. Oish. Wow. Um, yeah. Let me shift gears a little. Um, I started in the de well, I've been in the dental business my whole life because it's we're a family of dental business people. Yeah. But <clears throat> in 1994, I was a sales rep just starting out, I was 24 years old and I was in New York. And at the time, uh, there was one almost, I would say almost undisputed Michael Jordan in our industry. And it was Larry Rosenthal. And so he happens to have been, I, I called on him. So I, as a, as a sales rep. And so I got yeah. to know him and yeah. what an amazing individual. Um, but he was at the time, I mean, when he lectured, you couldn't yeah. get a seat. And so, um, you know, I had, I, everybody loved Larry Rosenthal. I mean, not, not only he was, he, he was, he is, uh, although I haven't seen him in a while. I'm sure he's the same guy, he's, but he's <laughs> incredibly gifted dentist and also a really fun guy. And yeah, so, magical. Yeah. And so I think that he, um, you know, unfortunately we all have our sunset. There's no question. We're all, we can't do what we're doing forever. And he yeah. came, must've come to that realization and realized he needed a younger dentist to kind of, you know, I'm to fill his shoes and you were the chosen one. And so I, I'd, I'd love to know, how did you, how did you wind up in, in that situation? Yeah. And then once you, be, you, once you got in that situation and you were in your 30s and you were expected to do the quality, you're in Dr. Rosenthal's practice. So you're expected to do the quality of work of Dr. Rosenthal. Did yeah. you feel stress? I mean, I would imagine the stress and the expectations must have been sky high. Here yeah. he is regarded as the dentist dentist, one of the best in the world, filling up cosmetic lectures everywhere he goes. And you, in your early 30s, expected to do that quality of work all of a sudden. How did that feel? So again, 
it all it's all the same kind of common thread. So I knew about Larry when I when I went for career day in 11th grade in high school. I went to my local dentist in upstate New York and he played me an audio tape of Larry's lecture and I was floored. You know, as a young guy going into a young competitive guy going into dental school you want to be an oral surgeon because it's the highest level of education and you know you have all the degrees and you can you know reconstruct someone's face and you're an, a real doctor whatever so i went in saying like i want to be an oral surgeon and he said well you know that's great but but listen to this this guy larry rosenthal he's in new york city you know he's a cosmetic dentist it's a new kind you know this was 1998 uh so it wasn't, you know, cosmetic dentistry, a lot of people didn't know about it. Um, it wasn't uh, as obviously as big as it is now. So I listened to the tape and right then and there, I said, no, that's what I'm doing. So I was supposed to go to, I was in a 3-4 program with Lemoyne College in Syracuse, New York and University at Buffalo, which was a state school. And basically you did three years of Lemoyne and you got automatically accepted to state school um, I was on full loans, so it was economically smart for me to do this. And while I, and I didn't want to do the program and my parents were like, you have to do this. You know, it's the only, you're going to be drowning in debt if you don't. Um, so when I was in Lemoyne, I dropped out of the program and realized like, if I'm going to do this, I have to go to New York because I have to be near this guy. And I went to that same dentist and I told him my plan. And, and he, I remember he pulled out pencil and paper and he said, listen, and what, you know, and he started doing the math, you know, as a, as an associate, your first year out, you're going to make this, these are what your student loans are going to be. And, you know, the way that the math worked out is I didn't have money for food. Um, mm. So every person that was a kind of mentor or a, you know, a parent around me told me that I should go to University of Buffalo and I went to NYU. So I went to NYU and, you know, second year of dental school, Larry came in and gave a lecture to the second year dental students. It was 2001. It was right after 9-11. And I remember, I remember the watch he was wearing. I remember his hair. Like he was like, Michael Jordan. He was like seeing Michael Jordan. If you're in, you know, this is what people outside of dentistry don't understand is every profession has their sure. Michael sure. Jordan. It's just, we're not playing in an, an arena in front of, but he was Michael Jordan in dentistry. If you saw him, I remember walking in into meetings with him, the AACD and things like that. And people treated him like Michael Jordan. It's true. So I ran up to him after the lecture and I had like a student business card that said like Dr. Michael Appa or Michael Appa, you know, student dentist or something. And I, I remember giving it to him and saying like, I'm going to work for you one day. And uh, he got into his car and left and, and that was it for me. So I, I ended up starting um, an undergraduate curriculum of aesthetic dentistry, which was not, we didn't have aesthetic dental cosmetic dentistry lectures when we were in dental school and i remember marty zace was the president of aacd at the time and i called him on the phone i got his number from the directory and called him on the phone and said oh you know my name is mike Appa. i'm at nyu dental and i want to start um a branch of cosmetic dentistry for dental students uh and i got funding through nyu and i had all these great speakers um I, mean, I had Ray Bertolotti come from California and, and it was all to have Larry come and lecture so that I could meet him more. And he did. And I still have the picture of him and I in, in 2002. Um, but the interesting thing is, and, and you know, when you're originally asking me this, if you know Larry, he is magical, but Larry has in his own mind, it's his world. And he's not as much of a forward thinker thinking, I'm getting older, I'm going to retire someday, I need a young dentist to come. Believe me, that was the furthest thing from his mind. Larry is 73 right now, and he's still practicing, and he still thinks that he's 20 or, or younger. <laughs> 
Like it's not even a concept in his mind of, of, um, you know, thinking like that. So the way that I got into that office was actually, I used to call the office manager who was the office manager at the time and is still there. Her name's Jackie. And he was running Aesthetic Advantage. And I would call and say, you know, I really want to meet Dr. Rosenthal. I've started the aesthetics program, blah, blah, blah. Can I come observe? And little by little, I would try to go to the office. I would always make up an excuse. I bought him a gift one time for lecturing and I got to deliver it. And I met different people in the office. And there was a young woman there who's no longer there that started a spa under Larry down the street. And the idea was to put a bleaching light in the spa so that we could convert patients to actually doing their teeth that were going in for facials or bleaching or whatever. So I was hired by this woman, Dana. Larry didn't know my first name. I was hired to bleach teeth in the spa. And when I had time, I could, I was allowed to go to the office and observe Larry and the other dentists actually doing dentistry. And this was my first job uh, that I actually quit residency for. So I was in residency and it wasn't uh, back then. It wasn't, you didn't have to come, you didn't have to do a, a, a GPR and I quit residency and it was like this huge thing in NYU because they get money from the, the hospitals, every person that goes to residency and I could have gotten sued. And again, everyone around me told me like, do not do this. I remember Dennis Tarnow was like, you're making a huge mistake. I still have the voicemail. And I did it. And I was like, making a mistake, like, no, I'm going to be Larry Rosenthal's partner. And then I'm going to buy his, I mean, if you ask my friends from dental school, they all knew what <laughs> this was going to happen. Everybody told me I was insane, but that was, it was without a doubt, like that was going to happen. But the interesting thing is, so I went in and I was treated awfully. I mean, Larry didn't know my name. The other guys there were very jealous and competitive, all vying for Larry's attention because everyone was associates. There was never a partner in that office. Yeah. And there has been all these horror stories that Larry used people up and spit them out and no one ever is getting partnership and so on and so forth. So I remember one of the guys there who was there for 10 years or so before I had gotten there, sat me down one day and said, listen, if we wanted a good looking young kid in a suit to be here, we could bring my 10 year old son in. Like, you know nothing about dentistry, so why are you even here? And I remember telling him like, well, I'm gonna be his partner and buy the office someday, so that's why I'm here. <laughs> um, Amazing. But it was that naivete that has always worked for me, you know? So I became friends with Larry and it was not easy. Uh, like I said, for the first six months, he didn't know my first name, but I was young and I have always been the same person. And, you know, I had a real thirst for life and Larry was 30 years older than me and he loved to have fun as well. So I would take him out every single night after we would get done working and slowly but surely I worked my way into becoming a, he's my best friend, uh, to this day. But when you ask if it was stressful, it was, I had back surgery at 29 and I've never had an injury in my life. And it 100% was from stress. And what used to happen was Larry got into a, you know, as wonderful as he is, he also was the king. And if he didn't feel like doing something, he just wouldn't do it. So many times patients from all over the world were flying in and Larry wanted to go play golf or didn't like the patient or just didn't want to be there. And he'd say like, I'm not treating him, you go treat him. And I was treating, you know, royal family members of in, in Europe and people that were flying in to get their teeth done. And there was, I used to have spiky hair and, you know, I was, you know, tight clothes and a suit, shirt and tie. And I would get in there and, and they'd be like, who the hell are you? And I'd be like, oh, I'm Dr. Appa. And they're like, well, you look like you're in dental school. Like, where's Larry? You know, that was the big joke. Where's Larry? You know, we would say it all the time. So I used to have to convince patients that I was competent and I would treat them. And that is how I learned how to do cosmetic dentistry. Amazing. Amazing. Um, yeah. we're, we're coming now to the end. So I want to ask a couple of quick questions for you. 
Uh, what would you say are two must-have products for dentists these days? Maybe some, not, not the obvious ones like, uh, you know, gloves and masks or whatever, but what are, what are a couple of products that you think that um, cosmetic uh, or general dentists who are looking to do more cosmetic work should all have? A good camera um, and Luxaflow. Luxaflow. <laughs> yeah, very good. Um, you mentioned podcasts earlier as we talk, yeah. podcasts that you listen to. What are some of the podcasts that you're listening to these days and you really like? Dax Shepard has a really good series. Um, I like that one too. Yeah, it's yeah, good. It's really good. And then I, I listened to Dr. Death. I don't know if you've heard that one. I listened to that one too. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I totally agree. Yep. <laughs> um, so. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? I'm still in my 20, you know, I, I, would, I would not change anything. You know, all of the things that have happened in my life have been magical. Um, so I, I would give him the same, you know, there, I think there's one thing that people, and I've grown up with it, have, have a lot of self-doubt and they're always comparing themselves to others. And it's really a great place when you get over that and you don't create that in your own mind, you're able to just be yourself. Um, and so if I, if I would tell my 20 year old self something, it would just be to follow really the path that you're on and stop looking left and right as to what other people are doing because you're going in the right direction. Would you say that the best years for dentistry are behind us or would you say they're ahead of us? Ahead of us, 100%. Um, technology is changing the way we do dentistry. I think that the world is so much more connected in terms of uh, how the rate of growth of really every industry, but it's obviously in dentistry as well. Um, think about cosmetic dentistry, the, the eyeballs that we get on cosmetic dentistry just from the platforms that we have available to us. I mean, when I was coming up, there was nothing like this to, to be able to show people what we can do. Um, so I, I think this is a really unique time uh, and, and it really is, I'm excited to see uh, dentistry, the actual visit of dentistry start to change. You know, if you look at our chairs and what we use and air driven hand pieces and things like that, I have a feeling that in the next 10 years or so that that experience is going to change. Totally agree. And, uh, I mean, we're seeing a change on a month to month, year to year basis. So I completely agree with you. It's changing every minute. Well, yeah. Dr. Michael Appa, thank you so much for being on our podcast and yeah. being one of uh, Dentistry's 32 Most Influential. I really thank enjoyed the time we spent together. You far exceeded my expectations and uh, really enjoyed it. So thank you once again, and I uh, look mm -hmm. forward to seeing you at a dental show soon. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks for listening in. Don't want to miss an episode of the Driving Dentistry Forward podcast? Subscribe today on your favorite podcast app.